when you've got a lot of supply from something, think about how you can leverage that for either helping others or future business for what you're doing already. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got, And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We're doing follow along Friday today. Theo Hicks, how you doing, my friend? Doing great, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well. And follow along Friday, as you all know, is all about lessons we've learned and how that can be applied to what you're doing, best ever listeners, on your real estate endeavors and adventures. And today we've got a smorgasbord of topics to address. And it's basically what we've been up to and what we've got going on right now and things that we've noticed and some helpful tips for you. So you want to kick it off, Theo? Yeah. So updates for me. It's funny because as everyone listening knows, I bought those three fourplexes about a year ago. It was last August. And it was kind of like, we just had all the money to buy properties. 
and we were going to start looking, and then all of a sudden they just kind of appeared within a couple of days through a mutual contact that I met through actually getting my real estate license, which I <laughs> never really pursued further than just classes. Are you still but, active with your license? No, it's in the graveyard. I was just paying all those fees and it just wasn't worth it. How much is it a year? Over a thousand dollars. Oh, I didn't think it would be that expensive. Okay. I thought like I just constantly was getting emails asking for money. I'm just like, I'm yeah. done paying for this. If but, it was one payment of nine ninety nine a year, would you have approached it differently? Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so we were ready to buy those properties and then they came on the market and we went and saw them and then bought them. And then we really haven't had the cash to buy properties again until last week when Marcella went to our bank account. It's like, oh, we can buy another property. I'm like, oh, perfect. I reached out to our agent and asked her to do another direct mailing campaign. And then on Monday, I got an email from actually the same agent that was representing the three properties that I bought before. And they're listing a four unit in Pleasant Ridge for sale, which is literally exactly what the market and the type of property that I want. And what's even funnier about it is if you remember when I was talking, maybe it was a couple of months ago, one of the properties we got back through our direct mailing campaign was in Pleasant Ridge and it was a fourplex. The guy wanted 179 and I went and looked at it and I didn't buy it because it was just too distressed. And we were only looking for properties that we could find now, hold on to them and then make updates as people move out. Whereas this one, I think there's two units that were vacant and there was not a tube and a couple of other issues that just didn't make it worth it. And so and for people who don't know what's knob and tube, knob and tube is the electrical. So it's, I'm not exactly sure what years it would be, but it's old electrical that it's difficult to get insurance on as possible, but you'll talk to some insurance brokers and they won't even insure the property with knob and tube. And a lot of properties in Cincinnati that are older will have that. This probably must have been built in the 30s or the 40s. So it still had the knob and tube. So I sent the deal to my friend who ended up buying it for $20,000 below what they're asking and ended up putting a lot of money into it because of all the issues. But this property that came up yesterday is literally right next door. Oh, which I thought, which I thought was really funny. are you using the word literally like it actually I is am. the next door neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so obviously I'm in Tampa. So I want to just kind of mention my approach to how I'm going to kind of review this property by not this property is in Cincinnati. You're in Tampa, Florida. Exactly. So today I've got my real estate agent and a representative for my property management company is going to visit the property. I sent them a list of questions to essentially provide me with answers with. So what's the state of the mechanicals? Is there not a tube? They're only allowing us to see one unit. So I'm asking them what's the actual rent of that unit because the rents at this property are all over the place. I think they range from like five twenty five to six fifty. Okay. Is that market? Six fifty is closer to market. The other ones are below. Just because I've got six one units in Pleasant Ridge already that are renting for between six twenty five and six eighty five. And these units are actually better. They're not in better condition. They're the same condition, but just the layout is a lot more open. The kitchens are bigger and the living rooms are larger and the kitchen area is bigger. So I think 650 to 700 is going to be a good target. And as far as I know, they don't need any updates, but that's one of the things I want to know because when you view these properties, they let you only see one unit, but we're going to at least ask the broker, you know, how does this unit compare to the other units? Also, what is the rent on this unit? So you know, is this the highest rented unit or is this the lowest, the middle? So you can kind of figure out, oh, are, are they just under rented because 
the landlord hasn't been keeping up with the rents or they have to rent it because the unit qualities are different. What's the asking price? So they're asking 204. 204, okay. And at 650 a unit, that's so, 2600 bucks. So let's just say 200,000. Easy math. So that's 1.3%. So the actual rents are 2350 right now. Okay. So I bought my fourplexes for 220 in the same area. I mean, I could basically use my properties as comps. Now, the properties I have now do have two bedroom units, so the rents are going to be higher. But what I like about this property is, number one, there's no boilers. And everyone who's listening to this podcast knows about how much money I spent on those boilers. And so they have individual furnaces and individual water heaters. How much did you spend on boilers? Over 20 grand. Dang. Yeah. I'll say about 20 grand. Across the yeah. three fourplexes or for one? Across the three fourplexes. Okay. And the majority of the expense came from having to actually replace the inside of the radiators in the room. So it wasn't actually the boiler in the basement. It was the corrosion on the radiator. So it's a tip. If you have boilers, you have to inspect every single radiator. Like literally take off the cover and look at the valve and make sure that the valve is not corroded. Because if the valve's corroded, it's going to cost you 3500 bucks to replace the entire unit. So yeah, we're going to go to the property today. I don't know what the conditions are. They claim there's newer roofs and newer furnaces and things like that. They call it a value add because they like to call everything value add these days. Of course. Whereas in reality, the value add is just raising the rents to market rate. Well, that's the best value add if you don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. One thing that is nice is that I do know that right now, this neighborhood is not going to demand any type of upgrade. So it's not going to make sense for me to go in there and put in like nice countertops, nicer kitchens, redo the bathrooms because that's what my friend did next door and he didn't demand a much higher rental rate than what I'm getting for my one beds that aren't updated at all. What did he get versus you get on the one bed? Pretty sure our highest is 685. The average is probably 650. Mm-hmm. I think he's getting maybe 700. Okay. The thing is, is he did it himself. So the costs were a lot less. I wouldn't be able to do it myself. So the cost would be a lot more. So for him, it actually kind of makes sense since he did all the updates himself. So he's not paying two or three times as much as the upgrades. Mm-hmm. But for now, based off of kind of the rents that he demanded, it's not going to make sense for me to drop five, six grand to update a unit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make that back. This is not worth it now. It'll probably make more sense to do it in a few years from now because I know Pleasant Ridge is doing yeah. pretty well. They're adding a lot of retail and restaurants and bars and stuff. Yep. It's up and coming. That's for sure. Why are you looking at four units instead of five plus? That's because of the residential loans. We want to stick with a fixed interest rate, 30 year loans, and get as many of those as we possibly can. And then once we can no longer get those types of loans, we'll probably start looking at the commercial loans and then looking at the larger properties. And then also the down payment is probably the second one. It'd be more. And then third, fourplexes. There's just so many of them. It's a lot easier to find. Mm-hmm. And five units, six units pluses, they're there, of course, obviously, but these four units are easier to find. And then also the management company I'm using, that's what they have expertise in is these four units. Mm-hmm. But if I came across a five plus unit that I could afford, then I'd be interested. Mm-hmm. So that's on the new deal front. And then something else too, which was just kind of an interesting way to fill your vacancies and it's unique and obviously not, it won't apply that to everyone. It depends on your relationships in the market. But I have a vacancy at one of my buildings. It's a two bedroom. And then we've got someone else, one of the original tenants that I inherited is moving out 
on the 1st of October, another two-bedroom. So obviously we're losing money on the one that's not rented and it'll take maybe about a week to, it's really just going to be cleaning up her unit. I remember I've had to do some repairs in that unit that's the person moving out of and it won't be that expensive to fix it up. But anyway, so my friend who owns the property right next to the one I'm looking at owns another fourplex in Pleasant Ridge and had one vacancy and they had an open house and they had a ton of qualified applicants but only one of them could actually live there. So we got the names of the people that couldn't live there yesterday. And my property management company is going to reach out to them and schedule a showing of the vacant unit. And then obviously once the person moves out of the other unit and hopefully fingers crossed, they just rent the unit because we know they're looking. The rent is going to be lower on ours because the unit they were looking at was a little bit nicer, but my unit, they're going to get a garage instead of street parking and the area is a little bit better because it's a little bit closer to the downtown Pleasant Ridge area. So if you know people in your market who have a similar property as you and you have a vacancy, it doesn't hurt to reach out to them and ask them if they have any vacancies that they're showing and if they have extra applicants that they weren't able to have signed leases because they didn't have enough rooms available. So I thought that was a unique yeah. tip. That is a great tip. If you attend a meetup locally, then that's a conversation topic that you can have. And a similar concept took place with one of our apartment communities. We were approached by a broker this past summer. And it's a broker we have a really good relationship with, bought a lot of properties from him. And he said, hey, I listed a property in your area. It sold. And we have a couple backup buyers who want to buy a property in the area where this particular property is that you own and they're a cash buyer, and they're willing to purchase your property at X price. And we said, okay, let's do it. And the backup offer, the group that missed out on the first property, the broker was smart enough to say, hey, well, you missed out on this one, but I know another group, and if you offer this price, then they'll be interested. And we were interested, and we ended up selling that deal. It's a deal in Carrollton last May. And it worked out for everyone. So when you've got a lot of supply from something, think about how you can leverage that for either helping others or future business for what you're doing already. Exactly. And luckily in my situation, I guess they owed me a favor since I was able to send them that deal and I didn't ask for anything. I was like, hey, you can just have it because I'm not going to buy it. Mm -hmm. So return, I got hopefully some qualified residents to live in my property. Yeah. So those are my two main updates. What about you, Joe? Okay, let's see. Miscellaneous things. Well, it's a busy week. Tomorrow, we are likely selling a property. And tomorrow, we are likely purchasing a property. Nothing's final until our attorney emails us and says we officially closed. But we've got a big day tomorrow, big Friday. Investors who are in the deal that we're closing, you know which deal it is. And same with the investors who are in the deal we're selling. So a day of celebration on both mm-hmm. fronts. But the property you're selling, I know that your business plans hold on to them for five years. How long did you own this property for? About two and a half. Okay. And it makes sense to sell when you hit your number. And if you can get a purchase price that is similar to what you're projecting in future years today, 
and then do a 1031 exchange for those investors who want to do that into another deal, which we are doing, then we'll do that all day long. And the property that we're purchasing, it's in Duncanville where we already own property. And I am very optimistic about that area, but we don't underwrite based on optimism. We underwrite based on the here and now. However, if the values do continue to increase, then that's icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. I think there are some strong fundamentals for that area to continue to increase in value. I've owned a house there since 2009 and I have my three homes. One of them is the one in Duncanville for sale through my sister. She's just putting out some feelers. And that house has doubled in value. Um, Now again, it's nine years, so that's a long time. But the house is worth, actually, it's more than doubled in value. It's about one and a half times Mm. what it was. So... Anyway, before we move on, when you're talking about Duncanville, it's a strong market. And even though there's some projected rental growths and value growths, you're always underwriting based off of the here and now. And then kind of based off of the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about underwriting tips. One thing that I did want to mention is that when you are underwriting these deals, which you just mentioned, and let's say you're investing in a market that has had a 9% rental growth each year, and they're projecting another 8% each year thereafter. If you underwrite that into your deal, you're going to have explosive, crazy returns. But what happens if you buy the deal and that doesn't actually happen, which is why when you are inputting your annual revenue growth, which is just not you forcing appreciation, but just natural rental growth, you always want to assume a 2 to 3%, which is kind of like what the historical average is over a vast period of time, and not input the 10% number that someone projected through their research because that may be what happens. And if it does happen, great, fantastic. But if it doesn't happen and you project that it's going to happen, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I want to just mention that really quick since we were on that topic. It's a very important note. Separately, as I mentioned, I'm selling my three single family homes and I have residents in each of those three homes and they're lease they're staggered but pretty much through this next summer and we're not anywhere close to this next summer so that limits our options for who our buyer is it's gonna have to be investors yeah therefore as i said we're kind of just sharing it with some people but i personally wouldn't buy them as an investor unless i really believed in the areas and i didn't care as much about cash flow at the price i'm going to sell them for So it's likely, but every investor has their own approach. But I'm guessing that we're not going to sell the properties to an investor and instead we'll just wait until the leases expire and then sell them to an owner-occupant. Are you allowed to do any sort of buyout? Have you thought about that? That's a good question. I have not thought about that. And I'm not in a rush I don't care if they sell or they don't sell over the next nine months. I'd rather just not rock the boat. For me, it's more about the time I spend on it. And Mm -hmm. that would require more time, more conversations. And I don't want to spend any time or have any conversations about them. I just didn't want any of them to either be sold or just business as usual. And Mm -hmm. then whenever the leases are up for renewal, we just don't renew them and we sell on a one-off basis. And then let's see, here's an interesting thing that came up yesterday. 
I've never heard of this before. Frank, my business partner, calls me, and he said he just got done having a nice lunch with a potential investor who was discussing investing a significant amount of equity in our deals. And he said, Joe, guess how he heard about us? And I said, I don't know. He's like, you'll never guess. I was like, well, all right, well, <laughs> quit teasing. How did he hear about us? He said he was following the SEC website for new registrations of securities because Ashcroft, we register every single deal through the SEC like we're supposed to. And he's following that and he saw that we had registered a new deal. So he reached out to us to see what other deals we have in the pipeline. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know you could track that to get alerts for when companies register deals and Frank didn't know either. So I haven't looked into it. I don't even know what I can do with that information, but I just thought it was interesting that an investor found us because we had properly registered an opportunity that we had just closed on through the website and they were tracking that somehow. So Frank had a lunch with this investor and who knows, we'll see what happens. But it was just interesting. I've never heard of that before. That is unique. It sounds like that's an added benefit of, not the main benefit, but another benefit of creating a, a new LLC for every deal rather than just not doing it for every deal. Well, if it's a security, it's got to be registered on the SEC. So okay. creating anything aside, it's different. if you're okay. offering a security, you must <laughs> properly register it with SEC. So all of your entities are searchable on sec.gov for each property. But it was really interesting. And then the last thing I'll mention is a reminder to communicate consistently with your investors and have a consistent frequency of communication in addition to go ahead and send out emails for important milestones where you think people are curious about what's going on. For example, we do monthly emails to our investors by the 14th of the month, giving them the update on what's going on with the property. In addition, if there's a milestone like today, for example, we're sending out distributions for the first time to our investors, then we wanted to communicate that to our investors on a particular property. So we're sending out distributions for the first time on a particular property that we just closed on about a month ago, and we wanted to notify them. So we crafted an email. We crafted, that sounds, We wrote an email. <laughs> sounds a little bit sexier than it actually is. We very, wrote an, it was a very artistic email. <laughs> yeah, very artistic email. Yeah, we had some tildes in there and all sorts of stuff. We wrote an email and it simply said property name and it said distribution goes out today and tomorrow. And it said, we're sending out first distributions for property name today and tomorrow. ACH direct deposits will be sent out today and checks will be sent out via mail tomorrow for direct deposits. It should show up in your account within two to three business days, depending on your bank. Since we closed on whatever date that is, your first distribution will cover the entire month of August, for example, and we gave a $100,000 example, and we gave our approach for how we evaluate progress and future distributions will be handled. And we sent that out. And I got an email back from an investor immediately after, and he said, 
Thanks, Joe. Your team rocks as usual. My other partnerships could learn something from your communication style. So other partnerships who are listening right now, I would suggest learn from this style. Communicate consistently with your investors. It's such a missed opportunity because you could be nailing your projections, but if you're not communicating to your investors and they're in the dark on important things like when you get your first distribution, then you're not going to get nearly the credit that you should for delivering on the business plan, which is the most important thing in my opinion, but you're not going to get the return investors and the organic growth that you could by simply communicating consistently with them. I've been going on, on bigger pockets a lot lately, just posting content and reading multifamily forums. And whenever I come across a forum where someone asked about a specific syndication group or crowdfunding group, or they are just asking, hey, I'm interested in becoming a passive investor. What should I do the next steps? And you read through and every single time they mention a name, one of the things that they will say is about the communication style. And I have seen your name come up a lot. And one of the first thing that comes up is how you communicate about the deal constantly. And I've read a couple about you, but other groups where they said that the communication is not as great or just nothing about communication was on there at all. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't take that long to do. It just takes maybe 10, 15 minutes. This email for the, the update didn't take that long, but it's so important to keep top of mind of your investors, let them know. And I know since I've met you, we've, we've had tons of emails and tons of responses about the communication style and how important that is to people and how much they appreciate it. I love that you're looking at it from the perspective of, analyzing what investors are saying on bigger pockets and other forums and then applying that to this because it's true. Just like I did research and I believe you did research on Amazon reviews for books prior to us writing the best ever apartment syndication book. That way we know areas to address. And just if that didn't convince apartment syndicator to do it, then let me try one other angle and then we'll move on. The other angle is simply be selfish because by proactively communicating consistently with your investors, you're going to decrease the amount of one-off emails you have to reply to. So you're going to increase the amount of time that you have to spend on other things. So if organic growth and having good things being said about you everywhere about your communication is not a driver for you, then just look internally and be selfish and do this because then you'll proactively address the questions and then you'll increase the amount of time you can spend doing other things that you want to do. Exactly. And the other point before we move on, this is what I wanted to say about when I was going through bigger pockets is for syndicators or just investors in general, you will learn a lot by going on those forms. I've just kind of been doing it again recently and I'm realizing how much value it has because you'll see people are either your potential customers, for example, if you're a syndicator, you'll see people who are interested in passively investing on there. And if you read what they say and what questions they're asking, you can kind of figure out ways to add value, ways to attract them to your business that you might not have thought of otherwise. For example, I was reading a thread where the person was asking questions about distributions, for example, and what factors are used to calculate those distributions. So when I read that, I'm just like, okay, well, I need to make sure that when I am going to 
present deals to investors, I need to make sure that I explain distributions in a simple form and actually explain them. Because in my mind, since we do this every single day, we kind of forget that not every single person out there knows exactly what cash on cash return means or internal rate of return, how that's calculated. So figuring out a way to communicate that to your investors. And then also selfishly, you're not going to have to have a bunch of one-off emails asking what does COC mean or what does IRR mean. This is one specific example, but kind of going on there and reading posts from either people that do what you do that are trying to get into the business or people that are kind of your customers. So in case passive investors and seeing the type of questions they're asking so that you know to proactively address them and how to answer them when you're having conversations with investors or potential clients or other people you want to partner with. Love it. Good updates, Joe. You too, Theo. Thanks. So just to wrap up, make sure you guys and girls pick up a copy of the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon. And if you leave a review and take a screenshot and send that screenshot to us at info at joefairless.com, we will send you a email with some apartment syndication goodies, some extra content and Excel spreadsheets that will help you start your business. This week's review comes from Krista, and she said, I'm only halfway through this book and completely blown away by how much information there is, and it's well-presented and enjoyable to read. I particularly like how Joe and Theo wrote this in a way to relate to all phases of investing. One helpful hint is this, grab a highlighter or some post-it tabs. As I'm reading, I know I probably should pause and actually do the exercises and mark the items that I will want to remember, but I just want to keep reading. Haha, can't wait to start the mentorship program next. Well, Krista, thank you for that review. And I'm glad that you're getting a lot of value from the book. And everyone, hope you are as well. And I think that's all we got. I enjoyed this conversation, Theo. Me too. And everyone, thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern. EQ.com. What is square made of metal and has half the operating costs of apartments? It might just be real estate's best kept secret. Learn more and get a free one-on-one strategy session from the experts at You Don't Know Self Storage. You can find them at ydkselfstorage.com forward slash best ever.